Field Days is all about showcasing the best and brightest in New Zealand farming. So at last week's Mystery Creek Muster, we interviewed a handful of inspiring dairy farmers live at our stand in the pavilion. These live podcasts are a bit different to our usual style, but we hope you enjoy these bite-sized conversations. In this episode, you'll hear from Northland dairy farmer and climate change ambassador, Andrew Booth. Welcome to this live episode of the Talking Dairy podcast coming to you from the 2022 Mystery Creek Field Days. My name's Ben Chapman-Smith, I'm the host of Talking Dairy. Welcome to those of you who have joined us on the stand to listen to this and welcome to those listening online. Now our guest for this episode is Northland dairy farmer Andrew Booth, a third generation farmer, uh, who's gone from a climate change sceptic to climate change ambassador. <laughs> Andrew and his wife Vicky share milk 430 cows, have I got that right? 390. 390. On 174 hectares, have I got that right? Yeah. <laughs> Just west of Whangarei. Andrew's been a climate change ambassador for four years, but how did he end up in the role and what does it look like? What changes are he and his family making on their farm to reduce emissions? And what kind of challenges are they facing up there in Northland? Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. And we're looking forward to hearing uh, your answers to those questions and a few more. So let's get started. How did you go from a uh, sceptic to ambassador? I suppose to start with, it was just once I actually found out the facts about it all and, and, and understood the reasonings behind why we go do what we're doing and, and, and the I suppose the global causes of, of these sorts of things. And then from there, it was just about getting on board and trying to learn as much as I could so that we can start help to stay ahead of the game and, and, and know what's coming at us and use it to try and help others through the process as well. When was that process happening for you? Yeah, I suppose four or five years ago, once it all started to become a lot more relevant to us, we sort of moved a lot through the water things and got all the water stuff out of the way on the farm. And then the next thing that we saw was coming at us was was the climate change. And it's, yeah, it was it's just become a bit more of the talk. And, and for me, it was wanting to get to understand it better so that I can transition our business through it and evolve with it, but also help others to to fight their way through it as well. So why is acting for climate change important to you now, Andrew? What are the big motivators for you? I suppose most of it is, I suppose, that holistic view that everyone's, everyone's got to play their part in some way or another. And so if we can work out ways on our farm to, to reduce emissions or, or increase our efficiencies and those sorts of things and then, then help to help others transition through this phase as well is probably the biggest thing there. It's, um, it's just yeah, part of being that bigger picture and, and doing our bit. And as a climate change ambassador, what does that actually mean? What, what does the role look like? Uh, it varies depending on throughout the year and, and how busy we are. It's, it's quite flexible in that respect. But it's, um, yeah, initially for me it was it was a learning stage and I suppose there was a bit of helping out in the background with um, feedback to, to um, officials and things like that when they're looking at shaping, shaping the likes of the walker and things like that. Um, but a lot of it now is just having those conversations with other farmers and and helping them through the journey and helping them understand why the reasons behind why it's all happening and 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 where the legislation's actually sitting and things like that and and talking through what options albeit limited at the moment what options people do have to to try and move through it so you're obviously farming in Northland does that mean that your conversations are only with Northland farmers or do you do a bit of traveling around the country 
as an ambassador? What does that What does that look like? No, it's primarily primarily local. It's it's all the the northern fellows really that are that are quite sort of in our community, our, our wider area. But in saying that, I still I do keep in touch with the, the mates from uni down the line and things like that. So you you have those sort of conversations there. It's um, but a lot of it's just general at the bar or or discussion yeah. group or squash club or rugby club or, or wherever you are. Just those little little sort of conversations you have and or the one on ones or the the wider groups. It's just um, yeah, it's, it's reasonably casual, and low key, but it's just just starting that conversation and raising the awareness. Yeah, do you, and do you have quite a lot of conversations with people who were possibly in the position you were four or five years ago, so where they are just getting their heads around the topic? Yeah, they're often the harder ones to have too, and it's and and then it's because the science side of things isn't my forte, and I, I try, try not to get into the science debate with people because I, I mean, I, I know it all there, but I can't bring it to the fore when I need it type thing. So it's it, it's more about that general um, overall reasoning behind it and the purpose and the and the direction of travel. Is where I'll get to, and 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 a lot more people are starting to understand, or actually realizing that climate change is is a real thing, and it's it's human induced type thing, or we can, it's it's what it is, and it, they're starting to accept that and, and move along, whichever way that looks like for them. There's obviously an abundance of information and research and discussion about this topic and ag emissions pricing and things. It can be a bit overwhelming. How do you go about keeping up with? the latest information without feeling overwhelmed or like you're drowning in it? Yeah, I suppose the biggest thing is, is to try and filter out all the noise and, and the, the misinformation and, and just take take your information from trusted sources and, and people that you trust or organisations that you trust and and getting the, getting the, the wider understanding there. And I, I suppose I've been quite lucky with the relationship I've had with DRNZ over the years is a lot of my information has come, come via there and, and it's... Um, yeah, it's got to be backed by the science, and all that can be debated at times. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a, it's an ever evolving thing, and and we're always learning more about how to cope or or where the direction of travel is. So it's it's yeah, it's just yeah. trying the biggest things trying to filter out the noise and and the rubbish really. Tell us what kind of changes you've made on your farm uh, to improve your emissions profile, and of those changes, what are you most proud of? Yes, I suppose a lot of it. We probably started doing early on without realizing it, and we probably a lot of what we have done is has other benefits for the farm in terms of like early on we did a lot of the waterway work and the riparian plantings, which is having positive positive spin-offs with the sequestration and the biodiversity. But um, there's also been with the way we've transitioned our our system from a spring carving to an autumn carving system, we haven't we didn't do it with climate change in mind, but it's had a lot of a lot of spin-offs. I mean. Climate change was a bit of the reason because our summers kept getting harder and harder. So we've changed around to actually milking on cows when we're growing a lot more feed on farm, which for us is, is the winter time now. Um, so th- that's actually created a lot of efficiencies within our system. We're, we're still feeding cows supplement, but it's we get a lot better return from that supplement, feeding them when they're actually milking really well rather than trying to just drag them through the summer on supplement alone and, and the return's pretty pretty poor. So we've actually gained a lot of efficiencies out of that. Um, and then there's... With that transition, we've also dropped numbers quite a bit. So we were a four thirty, four forty cow farm, and we're now only milking sort of three ninety to three ninety five. So we've been doing that. We've we've reduced our young stock numbers, which is is helping to reduce our overall emissions. Um, total feed eaten from the milking herd hasn't really changed a lot. We're feeding less cows better, so our our methane numbers haven't changed too much there. But our efficiency, you know, so our, our methane per kilo of milk solids and those sorts of things have improved, and our nitrous oxides has 
has reduced as well. So it's all those sort of little tweaks around the edges that have all sorts of spot of spin-offs. So. Is your family involved in helping you reduce emissions on your farm? Yes, yeah, so I suppose like my wife and the kids, they well, they, they all help us with the plantings that we're doing on farm. My wife helps set the direction of, of our business's travel type thing, so that's a, that's the wraparound there. And, and with the likes of my mum and dad, they sort of give me the rein to take the farm in not necessarily whatever direction I want, but move it this way. They've allowed me to retire areas for wetlands and, and, and those sorts of things on farms so, yeah. and all those sorts of things are helping and, and they've been on board with the journey for moving around to autumn carving and reducing cow numbers and so yeah they've enabled it to help to, to help keep happening so when you're thinking about your vision for your farm thinking about the future what would you like it to look like in say a decade from now it's quite a tricky one, that one. It's it, it, With the, the changing landscape that is upon us and also the, the variation of land use that's starting to pop up through Northland, and we do have some soils on the farm which in the in the longer term could suit horticultural-type land. So there's always that aspect to the diversification on farm, but then that starts to impinge on our on, on our economies of scale with, with cow numbers and things. So that, But long term, they, there's always that option to come in. But if we were to say reasonably status quo in terms of milking it's just, it's just creating a system that's repeatable that's having as minimal impact on the environment as possible yeah. that i'd be proud to say is my farm is our system and that our kids are happy to come in and if they if they choose to and be able to carry on doing sustainably not just for the farm but for themselves too so it's it's, it's something that's not going to burn them out and yeah. and they're actually going to want to come in, come home to do it as well so so as we said in the introduction, you're a third-generation farmer. Your grandfather and your father farmed the property before you. Are there climate and environmental challenges you face now that they didn't? There probably is to an extent. Um, and I suppose it's on that bigger picture things, the way, like I was saying earlier, with us changing to autumn cutting is primarily because the summer, we're not summer safe. We used to be able to, oh, we used to get dry summers here and there, and they weren't uncommon, but now it's almost every summer is a dry summer, so... It's and that's forced us to well not necessarily forced us but we've taken the opportunity to adapt our system to yeah to adapt to how the climate is now and then I suppose this this November is probably a classic example it's it's the wettest on on record up north it's it's unbelievably wet the wettest month of the year for us which is normally November's the driest so it's quite those but then whether that's just a one off or what it is but the, I mean there's certainly more extreme events the the river flats have been under twelve um six times this season which. We expected a couple of floods, but not six. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it, and that's what it is. You sort of roll with it. And it's the interesting thing. And I suppose a lot of the work that my father and my grandfather did to, to develop the farm to what it is now, and it's we're really lucky in the sense that it, there's a lot of bush pockets left on there and things like that. So now we're getting the stage. We're actually starting to be able to look after those bush pockets, fence them off, do the pest control in them, which is helping the biodiversity and helping the sequestration with the with the increased regrowth and the undergrowth understory coming in there. So, yeah, cool. So, it's, we're, yeah, lucky that we, the way they've developed that we've got a really nice bones to be able to work with to, to enhance the environment around us. Hey, and just to wrap this up, last question What are your top three tips, or feel if it's five, go for it, <laughs> but your top tips for farmers who possibly don't know where to start in understanding what they can do right now to address emissions on their farm? I suppose the biggest thing is to actually find out where you're at. And and I and a lot of and for me it was a struggle too. We didn't go farming to become number crunches and, and do all the book work, but 
on where we're at now and the stage we're at now, actually finding out those numbers and, and actually finding where your farm sits is, is the biggest thing, yeah. finding out where your emissions are from. And then that gives you the the ability to actually start focusing on where your biggest change is going to be able to be made. And, and that flows into the next thing is, is start in bite-sized chunks rather than trying to tackle the whole problem at once because it, it just becomes overwhelming. So find out individually for your own business is, to, is how you can best make the difference, whether that's um, retiring a chunk of land for sequestration or, or a big one's breeding for us. That's probably one of our, our biggest levers we've got to pull, albeit a slow lever. It's, it's the biggest one. It's just breeding a more efficient herd and, and mm. dropping the bottom cows out of the system. But it's just yeah, taking on in, in small chunks at a time. And then just find someone to talk to that you trust so that you can actually get a – you can talk it out with people and, and realise you're not the only one going through these issues and, and, and get ideas and, and yeah, share the load. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. And yeah, just some really cool stuff you're doing up there on the farm. It's great to just hear some of those uh, changes that you've made, you know, feed into that conversation that we're having in the sector. So yeah. thank you very much. Not a worry. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favorite podcast platforms. Catch you next time.